Hey guys, welcome back to Surrender Podcast. We're going to finish our discussion on social justice. Now, last time we left it off, we left off with the idea of people not wanting to preach about or talk about or discuss social justice in the churches because it makes us uncomfortable or uh, I left off with Kevin saying some won't do it because it's a distraction. They say it's a distraction to the gospel. And I kind of want to talk about that for a second. Kevin made a point, or he will make a point, um, but during this interview he pointed out that preaching the gospel does not is not a comfortable thing. What we do as Christians is counter to what the culture and the current world says is the popular thing to do. Right, so being able to take that step out and following God's calling is not a comfortable thing. So when we think about social justice and the discussions around it, we should be uncomfortable. It should be a thing that says um, that that makes us nervous, that makes us a little squeamish, that makes us kind of wiggle in our seats and makes us want to avoid, but that's not a bad thing. Right, because we are supposed to be able to have these discussions as followers of Christ, we should be able to do this. You know, during the interview, Kevin points out that Jesus very much dealt with the things of his time and the the issues of his culture, his time. You know, we you, we talked about Exodus and uh, we talked about how Joseph had a new Pharaoh come in who didn't understand Joseph but understood that but thought because the Hebrew people outnumbered the Egyptians they would join their enemies and overthrow them so out of fear he started using words to kind of change that perspective of who they were and that's an interesting thing considering we still do that today we still use words to describe people based on their ethnicity their race their their social class, their gender, financial standing, political affiliations, whatever it is, right? Religious standings. I mean, we, we use words all the time. So this, we haven't changed at all since this Bible is written. That's, the only thing that's changed about us is where we live and the words we use. So when I think of the term social justice, once again, I think of this idea of an all-encompassing topic that's much broader than we tend to think of it and we only look at snippets of it at a time and it's a very needed discussion to have it's a very tough discussion to have and none of this is meant to make anybody feel guilty about anything they're doing but it's a discussion that needs to be had so we're having it so in the next part of the interview, we're going to get a little bit deeper. Kevin is going to get a little bit stronger on what, on some of his stances. Um, but that's not a bad thing. That's a, it's a great, great thing to see and hear. Uh, it was a great conversation. I loved having it. Once again, Kevin has done ministry for a long time, both in the prison system with juveniles. Uh, he currently works as an assistant pastor at City Life Church here in Grand Rapids. And I've worked with him for the last three years, and he's become a really good friend that's helped me even kind of stretch um, my muscles and and kind of push my theology and, and make me dig deeper into certain things. So 
use this time to really kind of think about it. And, and one of the challenges I want you guys to get out is this, go to the Bible and read this stuff. Read, read the Exodus story. Read the Joseph story. Read the history of um, the, the Hebrew people in Babylon and everywhere else where they've been, right? Read this idea of discrimination or we're better than you or we're this or we're that, right? Some of it is they made wrong decisions. Some of it is just flat out they were put in position because of who they were, where they were at. So I'm going to get the interview started. I'll pull in a couple of clips. I'll jump in here and there. Uh, but I really just want you to listen to what Kevin is saying today. What's your rebuttal to that? Well, in, in front of me now, Jason, I have scriptures from the Pentateuch. I have scriptures from the, the, uh, the wisdom literature. I have scriptures from the prophets. I have scriptures from the New Testament. Um... Apoc the, apoc uh, the apocalyptic writings so and that that's chunks of the bible written out in, in certain sections based on writing style and they're speaking against uh speaking about social issues just like the one i read in isaiah so if it's in the bible not just in one or two places but consistently my question is how is it not the gospel okay so there's a few verses I want you guys to think about was, is Kevin's talking about where these are at in the Bible. One is uh, Isaiah 117 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and please the widow's cause. That's Isaiah 117. Another one is in Psalm 82.3. It says, Give justice to the weak and fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. And one last one is in Luke. It's Luke eleven forty two, and it says this: "But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and love for God, and neglect justice and love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Simply put, we need to take care of others, regardless of what we see going on around us, right? And that's what Luke says. That's what." So David, that's what they say in Psalms. That's what Isaiah says. There's ones in Micah. Um, they're all over the place. Deuteronomy. There's stuff in Revelation about it. Like, take time to read your Bible. Look at like, these verses. Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree. I agree. I think it's something that needs to be talked about. You know, and think the idea of getting differing viewpoints mm -hmm. is a good thing and I think learning to walk into like I to me I think one of the things Jesus did better taught us better than anybody else that we don't talk about is he taught us to be able to learn how to walk in other people's shoes yeah yeah right? yeah and, and in fact I'm glad you said that because Jesus here's another social justice point in the gospel from Jesus himself he said uh when I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was thirsty, did you give me a glass of water? When I was naked, did you clothe me? When I was homeless, did you give me a place to stay? He said, those who claim to follow me will say, when were you hungry? When were you thirsty? When were you naked? When were you imprisoned? When you've done it to the least of them, you've done it to me. So to your point, he takes himself, put, the, put him in. He takes himself and say, well, 
their reflection of me. They're made in my father's image. And he takes that and makes himself the homeless person, makes himself the person in prison. And when you've done that, just like you've seen value in me, when you've done that to them, you've done it to me also. Because they are made in my father's image and they are made, well, made in our image. Okay, so this idea of being made in his image is not new if you're a Christian at all. You should understand this, right? Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. The image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. When it comes down to it, let, let's just think about the main part. The word that gets mo that gets off, most often repeated there is, in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Right? If we're created an image of God, who's a loving, kind father, right? Who sent his own son down for us to die, to die on the cross for us, to bring us back into that fold, to be readopted into that family. Then why are we not doing the same for our fellow man? Right, and at the end of this, right before, um, I'll make a comment about how Paul does this better than anybody else in the Bible, I think, besides Jesus. Right, when we look at Jesus, he sits down with the oppressed, the downtrodden, uh, the ones that aren't, aren't wanted. But one of the people that really, one of the people in the Bible that really stick out to me more than anybody else is Paul. And it's because Paul does these three missionary journeys travels the majority of the world and when he does this he spends time getting to know the people and the cultures around him he takes time before he says anything he understands the cultures around him he observes them he asks questions why can't we do that today well, and Paul does it, right? Yeah. Paul learns how the other cultures better than I think most people do, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so do you think this idea of social justice, because I think, for me, what I hear mm -hmm. is social justice, a lot of times when we talk about the bigger topic, mm -hmm. gets narrowed down to just the race card, right? Mm -hmm, it just mm -hmm. gets to, it gets narrowed down to the color of our skin, right? Yep. But don't you think it's a little bit in the Bible covers this too, right? Don't you yeah. think it's bigger than just you know our our ethnicity? Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's bigger than our ethnicity. In fact, I'm, you know we have a social justice issue, an injustice issue, and social issue within the structure of the church when, when it comes to women in ministry. Mm -hmm. But that again, that's people who haven't read the Bible because from from Exodus or from Genesis all the way through um, the New Testament for sure. Women, God has used women, and women has had leadership roles. Mm -hmm. And so, in fact, the greatest the message ever preached was that the Savior has risen, and he's not in his tomb, and that was hand personally delivered by women. Right. So if he didn't intend women to do ministry, why would he have them reveal his resurrection, which is the greatest mm -hmm. message ever preached? Right. Mary Magdalene, right? First person to see him outside yeah. of the tomb. Yeah, and, and then you go to the, um, you go to the Samaritan woman, Mm -hmm. Then you go to Phoebe, then you go to Anna who prayed over, who prophesied over Jesus when he was born. Then you go to um, Deborah. Then you go to Miriam. Mm -hmm. Then you you go to Rahab. Rahab carried out his plan. So my question is, how do you come up with your theology? There's two books in the Bible written. Yeah. Women, right. Esther yeah. and Ruth. Yep. Right? Yes. And so. I didn't even touch that point. But yeah. <laughs> right? So 
I think it's bigger than our skin color, but I also think specifically for America right now, because, um, and, 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 uh, and I, I might preach this sometime, it's, going, uh, it's all but one, right? So we have things for the, we have programs for homeless. Mm-hmm. We have programs for, um, we have progress, we have programs and things to help the foreigners. Uh, we have programs to help the fatherless. Mm-hmm. Whether they're whether they're the best programs or not, we have programs for them. We even have, in some cases, which I think we need to do better in, a program for people who are coming out of prison. Definitely. But we 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 don't have anything for African Americans, and have not changed anything systemically. At least, uh, and and I want to say, and again, some people some people there have been some things implemented, um, in terms of. Just because I put it on paper doesn't make people. You can't legislate love. Mm-hmm. You can't legislate that. So some people say, "Well, we have this on paper. This is a law that's been passed. This is this that's been been passed." Yeah, okay, fine. We have it on paper. We have a program, but are they carrying out those programs or that law or that legislation the same way that we're carrying it out for the foreigner, the same way we're carrying it out for the person who's hungry or the orphan? Because we don't have to lobby for those things, you know. But we have to lobby for the value of a life of a Breonna Taylor or a George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery, who simply was running down the street uh, and was mistaken for somebody who had been breaking in houses by people who thought they were police but were not and decided to take the law in their own hands. Um, and, like, you can't legislate that. But, but again, there are people who are on a different side of this and saying, like, hey, you know, all right, well, how do we know? Well, what do you mean, how do you know? The video's out. They had no reason to stop him. They didn't say him with a backpack. They didn't say him with anything. So I think <clears throat> I think it's, uh, we have programs for everything, but some of the, the bigger issue um, in America, and that's really the systemic racism and the racial bias um, that comes. And so I think we tend to deal with that more because America's foundation and fabric is that. And so I think that that's one of our bigger issues that it's the biggest issue that has not been addressed in, in programming or legislation. Well, I mean, our country is founded on immigrants. So. Yeah. Um, isn't it? I think it's James that says um, not everybody's meant to be a teacher, right? Mm-hmm. Because teachers are held more accountable. Yeah. So do you think part of the, the race part is social justice? Do you think what would help, especially with the African-American and the police culture right now, mm-hmm. um, do you think if there's better accountability for the uh, for the police officers mm-hmm. that that there is some sort of investigation? But I thought when this whole thing of uh, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd when it came out, to me I thought, do you think it would be beneficial if there's like a civil a civilian committee that invest that did the investigation for the cases, mm-hmm. not a government? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, like like a committee like that a reviews group the of tapes. People, like not just white people or black people, but we have Asians and Native Americans mm-hmm. and everybody else on there too. Like somebody like nationally, nationally, even not, even within a local committee. So like Grand Rapids. Yeah, I think it would be a very beneficial thing, right? Yeah, because I think then if you have a diverse group of people, I mean, I think Jesus would agree with us on this, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You, then you have a diverse group of people 
helping decide and hold people accountable. Yeah, I think that that could be a definitely a step in the right direction. But when we talk about diversity, I don't just want ethnicity and cultural. I want different life experiences too. So we got to put some felons on there. We got to put some people who pulled themselves up from their bootstraps. We got to put some some people who graduate from prestige universities. And we got to have that kind of diversity because it it, it it looks good. But if everybody's if everybody on that committee came from the same walk of life, they might share the same kind of same same opinion. But if I got somebody who used to be a felon who now became a, a small truck truck driver business owner who's turned his life around. And if I got somebody who, um, you know, who was a single father and a single mother and a married mom and a you know married family, then they got somebody who comes from this culture and that culture and these, these different experiences. I think it's de definitely a step in the right direction because there is some accountability. So there's a lot to unpack in this, but the key word that Kevin keeps using is diversity, and I think this is a very true thing today, right? We we talk about being a diverse church, but we or a diverse university or a diverse or we we throw the word diversity around really easily today and i think we need to be more intentional about how what we're doing when it comes to um being diverse whether that is including more people women felons people who commit misdemeanors children teenagers older people whatever it is right into these committees because jesus kept a diverse group around him and i mean diverse in the fact that there was just there was women and men around him he welcomed children into his fold most of these guys were not were not considered the most educated guys that he created to be his disciples yet they offered that different viewpoint they were eager to learn they wanted to have an input and they wanted to be involved. And there's people all over our communities that are like this. So when we talk about social justice and we talk about helping to ease the burden and helping to create this area where everybody feels welcomed or safe or at least feels like they have a voice that can be heard, we need to be intentionally trying to keep things as diverse as possible by including as many people as possible into these decisions that affect an entire community and not just a part of that community. And the other thing I think is, you know, stop being scared to call a spade a spade. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and I get you have to have all that information to, before you make a, a, a judgment call. I get that. But some stuff is a spade regardless if you have all the information or not. Like, I know the 13-year-old boy was um, who was shot in Chicago, and I hadn't followed that case really closely, so I don't want to like act like I have all the details. But one thing's for sure, you know, he was 13. He was out way later than he should have been, and one of the things was like, where's where where's his parents? Okay, fine. But the other thing is, you know. Um, hearing a former police officer, he said when he reviewed the tape, he said, we have a chain of command, you know. And then when I looked at the tape, the boy was following the command. If he didn't raise his hand, if he didn't launch towards you, you don't shoot. And so I think the other part of this accountability is, yeah, you have, can have committees. You can have, absolutely. But you, we need to be holding officers, officers accountable for being too trigger happy. 
you know, I, I understand, and, 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 and speaking to accountability, right, Jay, you knew going in when you went in the military that this is going to be some tough stuff. You couldn't be jumpy. You had to have composure and you had to have wit, right? Mm-hmm. right? So you weren't walking around training camp shooting every time somebody stepped on a twig. No. You know, right. So give command. And if you, even with the, the young lady who shot the, the, the guy, the young man who was in the car, and they was like, tase him, tase him, tase him. Well, the, the problem is with that is understand it. And I, I watched the video, right? So I'm watching it. And he did get away. He did try to, he ran and hopped in the car. But he didn't pull out a knife. He didn't pull out a bat. He didn't pull out a gun. Where, where was the threat? Other than him getting away from you and getting in the car. And then, you know, I understand mistakes happen. But I think that that term is also used too loosely sometimes. When you serve, and I'm, if I'm not mistaken, she served like 26 years on the force. Something like that. Something like that. So she had some, some significant amount of years on the force. And... You're trained. If you can talk about training, you're trained. Dominant hand is where your gun is. Weaker hand is where your taser is. You know you're right from left. You should. And so I think when we when mistakes like that happen, I think absolutely there should be a stiff penalty because there are some jobs you can't afford to keep making mistakes. I can't go in a surgery room and be like, oh, I stitched up the wrong wound. I made a mistake. It's okay. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Like there's some accountability. As a as a as a as a lawyer. There are certain things that the bar doesn't allow you to do. You know, there is a higher standard because of your position and the job that you've taken. Um, so I think that along with that community committee, I think there should be some accountability. Uh, some things should be no nonsense. You know, no nonsense. Zero tolerance. Yeah, zero tolerance. Mm-hmm. You twenty six years mm-hmm. and you don't know your where your taser is. Lord, Lord, forgive me. You know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to be your partner if you can't differentiate who your taser is and who your gun is. <laughs> right. You know? Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, you know, and my, my question is, Jay, how do you see me as a black man? And why do you see me that way? What's shaping your perception? Uh, it's just our experiences, right? Yeah. Like, I do, when I went to school growing up, where I went to junior high especially, I wasn't the minority. Or I was the minority. I wasn't the majority. Okay. Um, so for me, it's just a person, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you have a different color skin, but mm-hmm. I don't see, I can't say I don't see that color because you yeah. see it. Like, yeah. to me, that's even worse to say, well, I don't see a person as a black person or a white person. You do. But I see you as a person because I grew up in another culture, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I spent time in that culture. Right, right. So for me, it's a little bit different than somebody like my wife yeah. who didn't grow up in that culture. Yeah. Like, she doesn't see the things quite like I understand it a little bit better but mm-hmm. I'll never fully get what you guys go through yeah like, I'll never fully, even if even growing up in it I will never understand okay so here's the point we were trying to make it's it's all about how we perceive things and how we how we see things our perception how we grow up the cultures we grow up in um things we learn from our parents things we learn at school who our friends are um all play an important role and that's all. That's the only point we were trying to make. But I want you guys to understand that um, even in Jeremiah, when the Jews and the Hebrews were in exile and the Israelis were in exile in Babylon, and Babylon was ruling their country, um, Jeremiah tells them right in twenty nine eleven, like. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, right? Plans to make you great. 
but he tells them in there that they need to be integrated. They need to learn the culture. They need to be part of the, they need to live in the culture without letting that cult so they can learn the culture so they can work with the culture. Right, it goes back to Paul learning cultures before he goes there. You know, Paul at the tomb at the the altar to the unknown God, and he tells the Greeks, "Well, you know who this is. You've known all along. You just haven't acknowledged it." It's the same idea. It's how we perceive things, right? It's how we think of things. It's just like uh, our fight against sin. Whatever you want to think about it is how you see things, right? So just remember that when we talk about something. We need to be careful about how we perceive things, what, what words are coming out of our mouth, and how we see yeah, what's so happening. My, yeah, and so my, my other thing is, too, like, you know, when we talk about the, the Exodus story, when, when, when the new Pharaoh comes in town, he throws this label on them, right? And then he gives a mandate that says, kill any Hebrew boys under this two-year-old age. So now, words, right? Words create perception. Perception creates how I see you. And so now they're looked at as a threat. They're looked at as un unvaluable. They have no value. And so, and we can kill them. Well, you go to, um, to the, 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 what we call the Reagan era, where, where the drugs was really heavy. Black men were called super predators. We were associated with gangbangers and thugs and criminals and drug users and drug addicts. Uh, and crack cocaine at the time was only in urban areas. Uh, and then you had the war on drugs, which predominantly affected African Americans who, and they carried the, the drug epidemic carried a stiffer penalty. But you can't make crack cocaine without cocaine, which is was which was a predominantly white drug and was in for in, in suburbia, and which carried a, a lesser sentence, or they got lesser sentence for that. So, you know, how do you see me? What's shaping your perception? And I want to go, and I'm going somewhere with that. Like, so they put out this whole perception of African Americans, right? And so that stigma is still relevant today. Like we carry that, still carry that stigma. Not that we, not that some people haven't earned a stigma that they may have, or made some decisions that caused them to carry a stigma. And that's a whole other conversation of being able to get back up in America. But, um, but then you go to, so after he puts this man mandate out and he tells the nurses before he gives it publicly, he gives it to the nurses, you know, and the the the, the midwives, the Hebrew midwives. And the midwives is like. The Bible says that they, they didn't kill him because they feared God. Mm -hmm. So God shaped their perception of how they seen their fellow man, right? Mm -hmm. And so what's, what's shaping your perception? Is it, is it the, the misperception? Have you ever stopped and say, hey, I just want to understand? Have you ever stopped and talked to somebody, maybe your coworker, maybe, you know? And let me just say this. Um, not every black person is going to be able to articulate because they're going to be so angry and frustrated. So you need to be... Kind of selective of who you want to talk to. I know me and Jay, we talk all the time, and I, you know, that's why Jay had me on the podcast now because I'm just say respect. Like a brother to me. Yeah. So I, I look at it. I take this. Sometimes you just have to shut up and listen. <laughs> wow, Jay said you guys have to shut up and listen. That didn't come from me. That was Jay. But nevertheless, very true. <laughs> um, 
And then, but, but Jay, what about when you get to Pharaoh's daughter, right? And she was raised in privilege. She understood her father's mandate. She understood what was expected, but uses her position of authority to rebut. Get and he, she knew Moses was a Hebrew because the sister of Moses then asked her, said, "Do you want me to go get one of the Hebrew moms? Yeah, go get them, and come and nurse this baby for me." And Moses' mother nursed him until he was old enough to go with the with the uh, with Pharaoh's daughter, and then she raised him up. And so here's the thing: she not only did she use her position of power to buck against a system that was killing Hebrew boys. But then she used her privilege to create an opportunity for him to get things he wouldn't have had had he just been a regular old out there like any other Hebrew boy. Mm -hmm. So what I'm simply saying is if we're going to change the label, it's going to take those who have privilege to operate in their privilege and open up doors for those who don't have access to it. Because what ended up happening is Moses was able to be raised up and help free his people and create a culture change. Mm -hmm. I agree. So, I mean, I think that that's, that's more than anything. Like, I think, I mean, it's very clear in Scripture. When it, it, not only is it a heart issue, but it's, it's a, you have a responsibility. That's why James said, if you see somebody hungry and you do nothing but say keep warm, eat well, keep warm, and go in peace, he, he's calling you out. He says, okay, you say you believe. You say you about this. But then what you say and what you do are not lining up. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And then, uh, kind of the last thing, how would you, how do you think the church should go about, or how would you, because so, you're a your pastor, mm -hmm. I've done youth ministry, how would you go about holding them accountable, holding your congregation accountable? Um, I think it's a good thing to um, kind of assess where they're at. Um, I'm a big fan of teaching. And then opening the floor for questions and then answering the why. Like, here's why we believe this is a church. Here's why we believe the gospel is saying this. Here's what the Bible is saying. And as Christians and as pastors and as leaders of the church, that's our rule book. That's our curriculum. That's what we teach and that's what we learn from. So hold them accountable is just maybe even calling out their racial bias. You know, their uncomfortableness. And I'll, and I'll be honest, like, I come from a Pentecostal. Uh, we, we say we were non-denominational, but we function more like Pentecostal. To go into a predominantly white church, a totally different feel. And I ask my oh God, what am I doing here? But one thing about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost will give you, like, he will answer you. And he was like, if you, um, he told me two things. He said, if you embrace the change, I'll grow you overnight. In terms of, he wasn't talking about giving me this big old platform, but he was talking about um, my growth and learning and, and, and walking and gifting, so that's always important. But the other thing he told me, he says, I'm using you to bridge the gap. So sometimes, whether we're black, white, or Hispanic, we have to be willing to let the Holy Spirit put us in places where we're not necessarily, it's not normally comfortable. And and allow the Holy Spirit to run through us and to, to speak to um, different places because the Apostle Paul just didn't speak to Jewish people he spoke all over the country Jews, Greeks Jews, Greeks Romans you know Mediterraneans you name it he spoke to them so and that helped them be diverse 
and then help them get the gospel out, and and depending on how they needed it. So I think part of that accountability piece is one, assess where they're at; two, not being afraid to have the conversation, calling them out on racial bias, and doing a sound doctrine teaching on what the gospel says, and then taking that information and putting it in action, and going beyond the moment, not just because it's on TV and everybody's speaking and talking about it, but going even beyond that. No, I agree. I agree completely. So, guys, I purposely try not to put a whole lot of my my opinions into this or, or any ad added commentary into this uh, interview because this part of it was really the meat of what Kevin was trying to get at. The, the idea here, the challenge I have for you guys, the challenge I have for me, the challenge I have for the church is how do we take time to learn other cultures? How are we going to take time to help the downtrodden, the oppressed, the weak, the um, the fatherless, whatever it is? How are we going to do that, right? And I really just want you guys to think about it for a second because if we're not taking that time as the church, who's going to take that time? I mean, realistically, probably nobody. And that's my goal for us is take time, learn about the other cultures around you, learn about the people around you, get to know the people who are, who are by you and around you, um, and just just think about it. Treat them as if they're people, right? Talk to them like they're normal people. Talk to them like they're an everyday person. Um, help them out. Love them. This is where the what would Jesus do back in the nineties? This is a perfect perfect space for this and when we talk about social justice. What would Jesus do? Jesus would sit down with them, Jesus would talk to them, Jesus would teach them. He would pray with for them. And that's what we need to do. So I'm gonna repeat Isaiah 117 here at the end of this kind of can kind of be our prayer is Lord let this please just be on our hearts as we go and I Isaiah 117 says this learn to do good seek justice correct oppression bring justice to the fatherless and please the widow's cause Lord that's our prayer just bring this to our hearts leave it on our hearts let this be at the forefront of everything we do and let it glorify you in your name. Amen.